0: Hello and welcome to the Tennis Menus Daily Rolling Garros show. Val Febbo here with you. Another bumper edition of the program today. And look, day one, oh sorry, round one is all done over three days. The only Grand Slam that does it and that's one of the quirks of the French Open but it's nice to space out the first few the first few days just so we can get a good look at all of our favorite stars in action plenty to get through on the show today but remember head to the uh, to get an annual subscription for just 99.90 US which includes over 600 tennis specific drills and resources to make yourself a better tennis coach and it's an absolutely fantastic uh, fantastic product that Mark has put together but the Ostapenko returning position what the hell was going on there? she was standing halfway between the baseline and the service line last night. So, we'll ask Mark about that. Uh, we'll talk about Denmark's great, next great hope, possibly. Clara Torsen, who defeated uh, Jennifer Brady in three sets last night. That was an epic. Uh, playing lead-up tournaments, Stefano Pass and Andre Rublev, the finalists from Hamburg, both pushed to the absolute brink. And also, uh, can someone unseated win this slam? There's a few still left in the draw, some lucky losers possibly um, could go all the way. But before we do any of that, let's introduce my co-host and Mark Zafoulis. Hashtag Mark for PM and hashtag Mark, best, best uh, high-performance coach in the business. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thanks, Val. And I always like your intros. And um, yeah, what an extremely unbelievable uh, first round of matches at Roland Garros. I mean... You know, to think that a lot of the, the seeds, some of the seeds are out. You think that some of the upsets that have gone ahead, you think about the qualifiers that have actually gotten through a round and the lucky loser. And we're going to touch on Mark Pullman's, the uh, the boy from Maribyrnong, which uh, I'm very excited that he's, uh, he's through. His brother, Greg, was with us at Maribyrnong College for a year. And um, great family and super, super effort from Mark last night. So I want to touch on that. But you're right, the court positions and the balls are still... A huge factor in this uh, French Open and we'll definitely touch on the Ostapenko court position and a yeah. uh, little bit different a Dominic team, but uh, we'll go through that as, a, as the show goes on.
0: Well, you've also got some good stats on Nadal playing with these balls, so we want to open those up as well. But without, it wouldn't be the show without Joel Frucci. Joel, how are you? I should come up with a hashtag for you as well. Hashtag <laughs> Joel, Joel <laughs> Well,
2: I've never had a hashtag made, made about me, well, so yeah, yeah, that'll that'd, that'd be interesting. Yeah, well, well, that'd be interesting. But uh, no, good Good morning, Val. Good morning, Mark. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, extremely pleased as well. And it's because of Mike Holman's. What a win. I, I love him. He's great. Infectious.
0: Mm. He is. And he's one of the nicest guys that we've got on tour. And um, it's so good. Thank God an Aussie got through to the second round because um, it, it's happened a few times over the last decade where we haven't had one go through. I think there was... Uh, once at Wimbledon and it's happened twice at the French Open. So thank God we've got one through. But look, we'll start off with the women's draw. Um, There are a few interesting matches there overnight. And um, Karolina Pliskova pushed... The absolute brink. And I thought I thought she was in a lot of trouble against my uh, sheriff. We can call her the sheriff now because that's pretty much her name. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's all in the name, isn't it? Uh, the Egyptian qualifier. The first Egyptian player ever to play in a main draw at a Grand Slam. Um, absolutely fantastic performance from her to push the number two seed all the way. But let's give through 6-7, 6-2, 6-4. Laura Siegmund over Kiki Mladenovic. Well, this one. Mladenovic. Look, I don't know what's wrong with her. I really don't because mentally she just seems so fragile at the moment. There was another issue last night which we will touch on, um, but 7-5, through seven five six three, Ludmila Samsonova pushed Sophia Kennan, the Australian Open champion, but Kenin through six four three six six three. Aryna Sabalenka through no problems. Clara Torson over Jennifer Brady, the U.S. Open semi-finalist six four three six nine seven. Serve for the match at I'm pretty sure it was uh, seven six. And uh, Brady got the break back, but uh, Torsen ended up finding another gear and going all the way. Sloane Stephens also threw over Vitalia Diachenko pretty comfortably in straight sets. Alina Rubikina also threw with a big win over Serrano Steyer. Six love, six three. That's not one I was expecting. Um, Danielle Collins threw sort of on her comeback from injury. There was a lot of verbal Um, sort of verbal noise coming out of her mouth last night. We saw Nicolescu threw in an underarm serve and Collins put it away and there was a huge come on coming out of that. Um, Irina Barra the uh, young uh, Romanian qualifier has dispatched on a Vekic 6-3, 6-4. So, Vekic still enjoying or well, not enjoying an inconsistent year. On Bore through over Zarina Diaz 4-6, 6-3, 6-1. Alisson Risk gone over Julia Georges 6-3, 6-7, 6-1. Jelena Ostapenko hitting winner after winner after winner against Madison Brengel. And um, Alisson Van Weebank now Habino. Uh, and Petra Martic also through Nahabino defeating Marta made the third round of the US Open. But guys, we'll start with um, what happened uh, on court, Simon Mathieu. Uh, Jennifer Brady, we thought that after what happened at the US Open, she would be playing, she'd play so well and really, and storm through this French Open. But um, with the way she hits the ball, you think the conditions would suit her. But Clara Torsen, in the year Caroline Wozniacki retired, has uh, emerges, as Denmark's next great hope. Mark, we'll start with you. What did you make of the result?
1: Yeah, very interesting. I was um, a friend of our show and obviously part of the tennis menu, Shane Leonard from Data Driven Sports Analytics, was doing some analysis on the, the match of the forehands, he called it. And, you know, Torson was obviously um, won it in the first set and then Jennifer Brady bounced back. But uh, yeah, obviously a, a great match. And You know, I I did think Brady probably would have suited these conditions with a bit more time on the ball, with a bit more space to be able to really load up on her forehand, which is an absolute weapon of the game. But uh, obviously it wasn't to be. And, you know, a nice long match, which, uh, yeah, I I wasn't sure which way it was going to go at one stage. But, um, yeah, Torsten's come through on it with a great result for her.
0: And Joel, you, you watched this match closely. Uh, yeah. and you sent me a text during it saying um, neither player wanted to win it. What was happening <laughs> at 7-6 uh, in the fifth?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, both players had match points. I think Jennifer Brady had had two or three. Uh, and then uh, Clara Tolson had, I think, a, a similar amount. And she actually missed a, a really easy approach shot to put the match away. Um, at that point, unfortunately, just couldn't get it done. And I think at that point, you're thinking... You know, geez, can she can she get it done? Because she's missed this great opportunity. And you know, with with a player so young, of course she is seventeen years old, just graduated really from from the girls tour. Essentially, mm-hmm. um, at that point, you're thinking, can she can she put it away? But in the end, she she did go on with it, and uh, I guess that's a uh, a pointer, I suppose, to a resilient young player, which uh, which I really like. And uh, she's up to a career higher of at least 155, Clara Thorson, which is which is yeah, great. Right. And we don't want to compare her too much to, to Caroline Wozniacki, but uh, there were sort of some shades or some some elements uh, of Caroline's forehand uh, in Clara Torson's game. So, really exciting. Um, and she's up against Danielle Collins uh, in the second round. So, uh, that'll be a, a really, a really interesting game. Uh, certainly some some seniority versus some youth.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully Torsten doesn't take as long to win a slam as what Caroline Wozniacki did. Um, <laughs> that was a long, long wait. And yeah, it was it was amazing when she actually did it. But hopefully it doesn't go that long anyway. But um, uh, Maya Sharif over uh, against Carolina Pliskova, that was a really interesting matchup. And looking at, uh, at Pliskova, are these conditions, Mark, that would suit her more than what a lot of other players, or more than it would, more than they would, a lot of other players, because of just the way she hits the ball, her stature, her height, um, and, and she does, and she does have a lot of weight on her shots.
1: Yeah, I think it does. I think she has a lot more time on the ball to be able to load up, and that's what she showed last night. Just cracking, I think it was 40 odd winners in the match, which is absolutely incredible. She was just loading up. So playing Ostapenko in the next round. I mean, if the ball stays in more than three shots, I'll be quite surprised. So, um, you know, just the the absolute aggression that she plays with, and obviously, she definitely shot the sheriff last night and um, and got through with a win. <laughs> um, but it was actually good to see uh, good to see an Egyptian player get through. I've got a little bit of history with the uh, the old Egyptians. My dad was born there, and a um, little bit of history with that. But uh, great to see a, a player from from Egypt get through. It's uh, very unknown. Um, you know, obviously, does her training on the pyramids and does a few hills up there, so she's quite, quite probably quite fit and strong. But um, just couldn't get the chocolates in that match against Pliskova, who was just too strong.
0: Well, there's the hashtag mark for Faro. <laughs> <laughs> <Fairer. laughs> Right there. There we go. All right. I think we've got it. We've got it down pat now. But um, no, it was a great win for Bliskeberg. And yeah, great story for Maya Sharif. We've obviously got on the men's side, Mohamed Safwat, who's played a few Grand Slam main draws. um, And he's getting on a little bit now. I think he's 30. So yeah, he... but. Look, Egyptian tennis, hopefully we can see a few um, a few good performances from them over the next few years. We do love when a, when a non a kind of non tennis country comes through and takes the world by storm and um, that 's definitely what egypt you, well, what you 'd call egypt the non tennis country they 're more famous for their soccer and, and other sports but um, Christina Leninovich against Laura Siegmund. so we saw what happened. Um, at the U.S. Open, blowing a big lead and and losing there and blaming the U.S. Open lockdown. Well, she's blaming the U.S. Open lockdown again for this loss against Laura Siegmund. She was up 5-1 in the first set, had a set point, thought she converted a drop shot. But Eva Azdaraki, I've just been reading up a little bit of of what it actually says. And um, Eva Azdaraki, the umpire, um, apparently didn't spot the extra bounce that came during a 10-stroke exchange. Sigmund ran for him, led in a a short ball and got it back over the net, although a TV replay showed the ball had bounced twice. So, look, I don't blame her for being angry, but there's no real excuse for dropping a 5-1 lead, is there? Like, you, you, if, if you've got a 5-1 lead, you should be able to close that out, shouldn't you?
1: Oh, absolutely. 100%. And one point doesn't, doesn't finish a match. You know, I mean, it's it's one point out of a hundred odd points that it might have been played in the entire match. So, you know, for her to blame that, I think you know, it's it's a very easy outlet, and players do like to have outlets. Absolutely, um, you know, you see them wearing a bandage on court before they even walk out there, just to make sure, just in case. It's a, the old protection tape, as I call it. Um, but you know, there's there's. No way, one point changes a match. It changes your mindset. It doesn't change the match. So you know you've got to be able to be strong enough to handle that. And obviously she wasn't. And you know, well done to Siegeman for getting getting through and taking the opportunity and capitalising on you know a, a poor um, mental execution from Miladinovic. Mil-
0: yeah, agree. And um, yeah, fantastic from Siegeman. Miladinovic is one of the most temperamental players that you'll see on the WTA, and can be really. She's a former top ten player. We know that and remember her form in the back end of 2017 and the start of 2018, she played some unbelievable tennis. And then all of a sudden it just completely dropped off. And she's still France's number one. But when you've got your number one acting like that, um, definitely does not help. Another one I want to ask you guys about is, uh, is Yelena Ostapenko against Madison Brengle Now, Ostapenko hit 41 winners in this 6-2, 6-1 demolition of the American the 2017 champion. Now, I'll ask you about the winners in a sec, Mark. But, Joel, can an unseeded player win this slam? Was Stepenko the last person to do it in 2017? But even on the men's, can an unseeded player go through and win this slam? There's still a lot left and a lot of upsets.
2: I think uh, because it's more obvious, I think, on the men's side, no. Flat no. Yeah. Uh, on the women's side, possibly. Um, and the reason I say that, I think we've already seen about a dozen seeds by the wayside at this Roland Garros. So uh, quite possibly. I and mean, when you've got players like uh, Yelena Rostapenko, who has finally broken that that hoodoo of getting past the first round at the French Open, other than the year that she won it, she hasn't been past the first round incredible for quite a while. Yeah. Um, she's into the second round. And as we've seen, hitting the ball quite hard. Uh, you mentioned about 41 winners, but also I've got the, the stat in front of me, 37 unforced errors as well. Um, and that's not to mention uh, her starting position that we saw at times on the court. She clearly was not mucking around. Um, obviously, we're going to see her up against Karolina Pliskova in round two. That's going to be a, a, a very heavy-hitting match. One um, you know, four-shot well, know, rallies. Yeah, exactly. There, there could be some short rallies in that one. But look, I don't see any reason why an unsaid player can't win uh, the women's draw, but certainly not on the men's.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Well, I I think I agree with those sentiments there as well. But Mark, the 41 winners, this is what Ostapenko can do. And how as a coach do you, and, and we talked yesterday uh, yesterday about the difference between, and during the US Open show as well, about the difference between your best tennis and your worst tennis. And Ostapenko's difference is uh, the Nile River long, if we're going to use Egypt again as we <laughs> Um But... It's, it, is, it is quite a vast difference between her best and her worst. How as a coach do you try and improve that consistency? Because we obviously know what she can do, but she, we know what she can do in a negative sense as well.
1: It's interesting you, you bring this point up because I think the conditions will suit her because she just hits the cover off the ball. So the ball's slowing down a little bit. So it's actually going to bring her ball back into the court. So um, I think the conditions are going to help her, her erratic behaviour and her erratic tennis. Um, And I was actually having a conversation last night while the matches were going on with with Shane Leonage. And Shane and I were discussing about things. And I've got a theory on my coaching philosophy is um, defense wins tournaments, offense wins matches. And I'm a big believer that the best defensive players generally win the tournaments because they they attack off the back of good defense. Whereas Ostapenko plays extremely high risk tennis. And yes, it can work um, multiple times but it's hard to sequence that for an entire tournament. And it's really important to understand, like you look at Djokovic and Federer, you know, take away who they are and what they've achieved in tennis. Why, why have they won matches? Because they defensively don't miss balls, because they don't give you the opportunity to get into a match, because they keep the ball in longer than their opponent, because the difference between their winners and unforced errors isn't this huge amount of unforced errors and huge amount of winners. It's actually very, very steady and very, very close together. And to be able to play your best tennis and play it consistently well, you've got to keep the ball in the court. At the end of the day, you've got to beat the court itself, not the opponent. So if you can't keep the ball in long enough, you don't have a chance to play offensive tennis. And to me, that's a really big, um, big statement, but also a philosophy I've gone by because I feel as though in team sports, it's the same concept. You've got to defend first and attack off the back of good defense. You know, I know I liken it to AFL is where Richmond Football Club has done that for three or four years now where we've dominated the game. Why? Because our defensive structures outweigh our offense and we, we score on the back of good defense. And then you look at all these players that come in and you look at the game on Feast, as we discussed at the start of the tournament, you know, great offensive skills, but defensively doesn't stay in the points long enough, isn't consistent enough. Isn't, his strategy is to, to beat the guy with multiple winners and flashy tennis. And that can only last so long. And, you know, yes, players do win with great offence. Absolutely. But the consistent level of the game isn't the Elena Ostapenko's. And and that's where I feel as though this tournament... I feel as though she will be able to be a better player in this tournament because the conditions are slower and will control her ball more often. So, it won't be as erratic as probably normal. Now, remains to be seen playing against Pliskova, what will happen? It'll be a, a bash fest, no doubt. Um, and who can keep the ball in longer is going to win the match. And that's basically plain and simple of, of the game. So I um, hope that answers your question. But I'm really, really passionate about the ability to keep the ball in longer wins matches. And, you know, yes, you've got to have offense, but you've got to keep the ball in and, and keep your errors to a minimum.
0: Yeah. And I guess that's why uh, a guy like Gael Monfils has never beaten Novak Djokovic because he tries to play that sort of impatient style tennis. and. Djokovic will play out there all day if he has to to try and Excellent. win a match. And I love the example of uh bringing the Tigers into the fold here because uh, <laughs> 2017 and 19. Hopefully 2020 as well. But um no, we'll move we'll move into the into the men's side of things as well now. And look, Novak Djokovic against Mikhail Ima last night was unbelievable. Did anybody see Ima's tweener? Um Unbelievable what a shine. Djokovic in the third in the second set. That was one of the best shots I think I've ever seen, in a, ever seen, ever. Like he hit that from so far out of the court, off balance and straight past Novak, which is hard to do anyway when you're not hitting it through your legs. But to do it like that, I think only I've seen Federer do that before. So unbelievable from the young Swede. But Djokovic looked in ominous form, 6 love, six two, six three. Did anybody see the Federer heckler that came to the match last night? Yeah, so. I haven't seen this. Yeah, so um yeah, so a Federer heckler, he was wearing a Federer hat and was was heckling Djokovic throughout the match, and Djokovic has given him a probably a twenty second stare while he's kicking the clay off his shoes and then blew him a kiss. So I'm not sure look if I if, if that Federer fan is listening, don't anger him. Just let let just let him just peter. Just don't give him any motivation, any more motivation, to try and get Rogers records. We've got to try and keep him Mate, the concentration's there anyway, but just any, any less motivation you can give him, good stuff. Or, or, do, uh, it, Bell, or, Bell. or
1: do it wearing a helmet and a neck brace.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Love it.
1: Val?
2: Yeah. Val, I've got a question for you. Yes. How did you manage to go from Taylor's Lakes to Paris and back to Taylor's Lakes all in the space of eight hours?
0: Teleportation. <laughs> Somewhere. I've conjured it. I've done it. That's how I get around. That's how you know. I'm. I and I do love Roger Federer. Some would call me a nuffy, and I am wearing his clothes now. So, um, but, um, no, it's uh, no. It, look, I I found it quite funny the fact that Djokovic blew him a kiss as well. That's um, yeah, that was really interesting. But. Obviously shows that even even with the lack of crowds, there something will still irritate him with them. So it's um yeah it's pretty unbelievable. But yeah we'll move on. He was so good last night. So we'll see what happens later on in the tournament if someone can challenge Djokovic because it doesn't look like he's going out early. Denis Shapovalov winning a four setter over Gilles Simon six two seven five five seven six three. Matteo Berrettini could be that man to challenge Djokovic. He hits the ball cleanly. And he clubbed Vasek Pospisil off the court last night. 6-3, 6-1, 6-3. He looked supreme. Stefano Tsitsipas, two sets to love down against Gormé Muna, uh, 4-6, 2-6, 6-1, 6-4, 6-4. He gets over the line. And the guy that beat him in the Hamburg final on Sunday night was down two sets to love on Sam Querrey. And uh, Querrey actually served the second set at 5-4. Rublev broke back. And then um, ended up losing it in a tiebreaker. But uh, six seven six seven seven five six four six three in three hours and seventeen minutes. That's a long match for Rublev, but will he be better for the hit-out? Who knows? And same with Stefano Tsitsipas. Roberto bautista Agu, big win over Richard Gasquet, 7-6, 6-2, 6-1. Mark Polmans over Hugo Umber in great form, 6-2, 6-2, 3-6, 6-3. Amazing win from the young Australian. Brilliant stuff. So good to see him into the second round. Deserves it thoroughly. Um, Grigor Dimitrov over Gregor Barre, 6 um, Marcos Girón over Quinta Nallis. Um, Christian Garin over Philip Kohlschreiber in four sets. That's a solid win. Kohlschreiber's a very, very tough customer, still at the age of 35. Uh, Alexei Popperin out, losing to Lloyd Harris, 6-4, 6-4, 7-6. It's a bit of a disappointing result there from Popperin, who's not bad on the clay. Kevin Anderson through over Laszlo Jair in straight sets. Um, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina is through. He defeated Harold Mayo 7-6, 6-3, 7-5. Attila the Hun, Attila Balaz, the, uh, the uh, Hungarian. I think he's about 30, so a bit of a late bloomer, Attila Balaz, over Yuki Uchiyama of Japan. And uh, Tiago Montero over Basilevich Vili as well, the 31st seed gone. But Hugo Delian, I thought he'd be good enough to beat Ricardo Sparankosk on the clay, the Bolivian, he can hit the cover off the ball. But Barangas, the heart monitor, the fluctuator, defeated him 6-1, <laughs> 6-4, 6-4. Dusan Lajovic also through as well. So I'm going to take a breath now and we're going to talk about um, the, the matches between Citibus and Muna and then Rublev and Querrey. And Mark, when you play in a lead-up tournament before the, um, before the event, you'd think, OK, it, like a lot of players don't often like to win those tournaments. They like to just get the hit out and then go to the Grand Slam and and play that consistent tennis that they want. Since pass and Rublev played the final on Sunday. The French Open had started while they were playing that match. Does that hold them in better stead or worse now that they've come to Paris?
1: Generally, you'd probably say it hold them in pretty good stead because the form, the confidence, the belief going into the next tournament. Uh, the one hard thing was, yeah, the tournament started pretty much at the same time that the French Open um, was starting and, and Hamburg was finishing at the same time. So it is a challenge because, you know, you look at the conditions now, I don't know if people would have expected this to be this, the way it is in terms of the courts and the way they're playing. And I think, you know, the conditions might have been slightly different and that's where they've, they've struggled a little bit to adapt, you know, getting in and playing. Uh, I mean, who knows? It, it's a, probably not ideal preparation, I would say. Um, but when you're looking at having played tennis for six months, haven't had an income haven't been able to do anything, and all of a sudden you're in the final, you're doing really well at a tournament at a 500, and you can get some pretty decent pocket money out of it. You know, it's a bit, a bit of a cash 22, isn't it? Whether or not you, you continue and go, I want to, I want to have, give this a real crack and win it, or no, you know what? I need to get out of this tournament and, and get ready for the, for the Grand Slam. So I think they, they found their feet, obviously, a little bit later than they would have liked both players, and the matches obviously being two sets to love down. But, you know, they, they have played a lot of tennis now. You know, is this gonna is this gonna hurt them moving forward? Quite possibly. I mean, they could be quite quite exhausted getting into the second week of this tournament if they do happen to get to that point. So, there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons in terms of uh, you know whether or not you want to play up to right up to that tournament. But um, I think this might have hurt them just a little bit going into this this event, and I think there's a bit of fatigue. Also, the the lack of conditioning from you know the, the obviously the conditions that they're playing in compared to Hamburg. So. It'll be very interesting to see how they go over the next few rounds.
0: Yeah, I do agree. And Rublev is one that, you know, queries never the, the first round opponent you want to get. Especially, like, if it's on grass, you really don't want to get him in the first round. But even on the clay, he has won titles on the surface before and in Europe as well. I think it was Belgrade back about 10 years ago that he won a title there. So, um, tough win for Rublev. But the draw did open up for him with the loss of Daniel Medvedev. So, Martin Fushevik's there And then the other seed, um, Tiago Montero, took care of him. So, Nicholas Basilesvili out. Dusan Lajovic and Kevin Anderson in the second round. That's an interesting one. So, the winner of that will most likely be, uh, meet Rublev, um, who plays Alejandro Davidovich for Kina. But then if you've got the other... Oh, uh, some marks for I smile there. Um, in the other side of the draw, in that quarter, you've got Shapovalov, Dimitrov um, and Tsitsipas. So pass won't get a seed up until the fourth round if he gets there, but that seed will be Dimitrov or Shapovalov. That's not going to be easy at all. So yeah, I'm not sure if fatigue will. I think it'll be it's going to be difficult for both to to actually get through. But Rublev's draw has opened up a lot more than what Tsitsipas has. So. Yeah, it's, it's very peculiar to see what's going to happen here. But we'll look, we'll, we've got to get to this one. Mark Polman's what a win over Ugo Umbert last night. And Joel, we had him on our podcast Breakpoint earlier on in the year. Um, yeah. How good is it to see him getting through to a second round at a major that's not in Australia? I think it's his first non-Australian Open main draw winner a slam. So, amazing story. And to beat a Frenchman as well, who's in great form.
2: Yeah, exactly. There was a lot to gain for Mark Palman's. He's, I think, he's pocketed nearly eighty-five thousand euro uh, in prize money just by reaching the second round of Roland Garros. So that's a a very big ticket uh, for him. Um, But also, uh, he's picked up a career high of one hundred and twelve at least. So nice little rise for him there. But to think that um, him as a lucky loser, having lost to, I think it was it was Liam Brody, wasn't it? That he lost to Brody's out. Yeah, and Brody's out now. Who? uh, well, at the time, was actually in quite quite solid form himself. But to think that a lucky loser has gone from being knocked out of qualifying to then knocking off forty one in the world, Hugo uh, in round one of Roland Garros is is brilliant. In four as well, um, obviously, Hugo Alber was in was in really really good form. Beat Daniil Medvedev in Hamburg. He had that nice little moment with his mum as well. Um, yeah. if, if you guys saw that, that was that was that was quite nice. Um, But clearly, Mark was able to take advantage um, of what was a stuttering second serve from Ugo and Burr. I think it was at the end of the second set, Ugo was serving uh, on his second serve at uh, 15%. Um, I think on the second serve points, he'd won something like three out of 20. So that is just... You're never going to win anything really at that level um, when your second serve percentage is that low. So, look, great win by Mark. Um, Obviously, we love the Legionnaires cap. And uh, when that guy is smiling, it's just really infectious as well. He's got a lot of energy on court. And, uh, yeah, just really, really good to see, especially when, you know, we think about all the other Aussie men uh, that have lost on the clay so far this tournament.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, Mark's obviously one of those kids who... um, I've known for a long time and he's done a lot of training with us when I was coaching Dane for And um, he actually is one of those kids that works that hard. And I'm so proud and so glad to see it occur that he gets a, a result like this and gets an opportunity. He's done it his own way. He's funded himself. The parents have put so much time and effort in, and it's a real credit to the family that have stuck together and that have known the process and that have really worked hard with Mark, obviously to, to achieve his, his dreams. And, you know, I think he's not far away from breaking that top hundred now, which is, which is really cool for him. And um, it's someone who deserves it. And, and if there's ever anyone who deserves it, it's, it's Mark Polman. So, you know, just because he's an Aussie, it's not that it's, it's just, he's worked so hard for it and uh, had to do it a really hard way and gone the long way around. And, you know, congratulations to him and his family for everything they've done. And, you know, hopefully this continues. And I'd send him a text message uh, after his match and he's, he replied straight away. And, just such a grateful young man and, and such a, a, a proud young boy. So congratulations to him. And, you know, hopefully he goes on with it from here and, and can actually get another result um, in the next round. It would be really good to see him back it up and, and get that win, which would be great for, for him and Australian tennis.
0: Uh, no, no, here he, I couldn't agree more. And, yeah, he's, he's one of the humble guys as well. He hasn't lost that at all in, in his journey. So fantastic to see. But just quickly, um, before we get to returning positions, before we do go... Novak Djokovic in set two last night. Uh, Ima hit 75% of his first serves in. Not a bad server. Has some pace on it. He only won 27% of first serve points. That oh. is ridiculous returning from Novak Djokovic. Um, and if if that's any sign of, of what's to come, he's in for a very, very good tournament. But returning positions, Dominic Thiem, we saw him returning from the back of the court as usual. Uh, Rafa was in a little bit. Yelena Ostapenko was halfway between the service line and the baseline. Not sure what was going on there, but must have helped <laughs> the ability to hit winners, <laughs> Mark. I'm not sure, but um, you've got some stats on the balls as well and and, and, what's, uh, and and what they're doing and and just how they're sort of acting, especially for Rafael Nadal as well. Yeah,
1: it's interesting with her court position because seeing Ostapenko stand there, obviously she's done the... Uh... The Roger Federer saber. Um, she's taken it to a new level and she's standing right up on the, on the service line. It's really good to see someone change it. I mean, the, the conditions need us to play up the court and there's no doubt she's taken that to a new level. But in um, Dominic team, it's interesting because he's still starting back. But as he plays his first ball, he's actually uh, returning back to that baseline a little quicker than probably what he would normally on a clay court. So, you know, obviously everyone's trying to push up the game a little bit closer to the baseline, which is just adapting to the slowness of the court and the heaviness of the balls. But when you talk about the tennis balls, and there's a lot of controversy around the tennis balls. Shane Leonage, again, and um, great data that he's bringing up on his Tennis Nerds blog. So if you check that out, it's pretty cool on uh, LinkedIn. He's got a 98... Rafael Nadal's got a 98.2% winning record on clay with Babolat balls. 98.2% winning record with Babolat balls. With the Wilson balls on clay, he's got a 92%. So he drops 6% with a difference of balls. That's really he's, poor. That's so it's, poor. it's crap. I mean, he's got to like his game. He's got to game. But it's interesting because he, you drop down to the head balls on clay and he drops down to 86%. So there's a, a 12% difference between a a ball on the same surface. Now, how that plays into effect here at Roland Garros, it's going to be very interesting because it's been a massive talking point, been a huge talking point over the course of the French Open. Um, And whether or not, you know, the one or two or 3% difference that it does does produce in his winning record will play a massive part when you're playing against a player maybe like Novak Djokovic or a Dominic team come semi-final or final. You know, and and that is what the best uh, of the game is. It's the one percenters. It's not going to be a matter of five or ten percent. It's going to be the one percent little things that make a difference. And will the balls make a difference? Time remains to tell on that situation. But you know, it will be very interesting come semi-final final time if uh, he is playing Djokovic or Dominic Team.
0: One hundred percent. So it's going to be. I'm. I'm so excited. I wish we could just fast forward to the back end of the tournament right now because I would love to see that Rafa team semi-final. Um, if, if we do get it. But tomorrow, or tonight, I should say, uh, the match is coming up. Elena Svitolina against Renata Zarazua, the first Mexican woman in 20 years to uh, play in a main draw Grand Slam. Well, first uh, one in 20 years to win one a main draw Grand Slam match. Svitana Peronkova against Serena Williams, round two. So they get uh, uh, a final at the US Open and now a second round here. And look, whether Peronkova has learned something from that and can use the conditions to her advantage um, if she can get Serena moving, I think this is the time that she's going to beat her. Um, Mackenzie McDonald against Rafa Nadal. Alex Vereb against Pierre-Ujabert. Uh, Stanford Rinker in action against Dominic Keffer is in great form. Uh, Jack Sock and Dominic Thiem. Two, uh, Sock, obviously, former top 10 player. And Dominic Team, the US Open champion. That should be a cracking matchup. Uh, Simona Halep against her compatriot, Irina Kamalia Begu. Caroline Garcia against Alexandra Sasnovic. Azarenka, Schwartzman, Benoit, of course, one of our favourites, uh, Coco Gauff, uh, Kiki Burtons, Coco and Kiki, I want to see those two play each other, because that, mm. that just rolls right off the tongue. Uh, Amanda Anasimova and Bernardo Perra taking on each other, John Isner against Sebastian Korder. Um, We've got some really good matches to look forward to tonight, and uh, also Taylor Fritz in action as well. Astra Sharma, the young Australian, or, uh, I think, she, is she young anymore, or is she our age, Joel? I think she's our age, so... You can kinda call her young, but she's not not as young in a ton of sense. I always get really confused saying young Australian because it's like hang on. (laughs) I'm that age, so um, <laughs> let's just keep going. Um, she'll take <laughs> on Erin Alexandrova, Dari Gavrilova against Eugenie Bouchard. That'll be exciting. Casper Ruud, um, Joel's unfriendly ghost friend uh, against Tommy Paul. So we've got some really, really exciting matchups uh, to come our way tonight. But it's been very exciting. Remember, you can head to thetennismenu.com and get an annual subscription for just ninety nine ninety US, which includes over six hundred tennis-specific drills and resources to make you a better tennis coach. And, well, this man can make anybody a better tennis coach. His name is Mark And Mark, hashtag Mark for Pharaoh, Mark for PM, whatever we want. Um, we're going to instill you into those positions. Thank you very much for your time and effort today, mate.
1: Thank you very much, guys. Looking forward to tonight's matches and uh, getting back into it tomorrow.
0: Sounds very good. And Joel Fruci, as always, thank you very much. Hashtag Joel for Premier.
2: Oh, thanks, mate. See you tomorrow.
0: <laughs> see you then. It's been a really good first round of Roland Garros. Hopefully that can continue without any COVID controversy. There hasn't been any so far this tournament. So fingers crossed that continues. Val Verbo, Mark Sipulis, and Joel Frugge joining you on the Tennis Menus Daily French Open Show. We'll see you tomorrow.